0: You're listening to the Audacious Church podcast. This message was recorded live at our Manchester campus. We know this is a great investment into your life. So tune in, listen up and stay focused. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com. So good to uh, have you here, Good Friday. Good, I, I tell you what, you know, the question comes up every year, strange name for something that is about death, except it's just not about death. <laughs> if Good Friday was about death, the story we have would not be the story we tell. Because if Good Friday was about death, then we wouldn't be looking at an empty cross, well, and Ruth, actually. Um, it probably moved that way, probably just, just move that way slightly. That whole narrative nearly changed dramatically then. (laughs) There are some really woke people who would go, I'm more comfortable with that. But it's not in the Bible. Um, I'm going to have to pull this back in, pull this back in, pull this back in. It's a story of an empty cross. And Sunday's the story of an empty tomb. It's actually what's not there that matters than what is there. Because sometimes we're too busy looking for a piece of evidence when it's not about evidence, it's about faith. Because faith is the absence of what we can see. So if we're looking for something to see, we're looking for emptiness. And God's looking for the same in us. He's looking for our ability for us to empty ourselves of us so that He can fill us with who He is. He's looking for that ability to say, it's not about me, it's not my will, Lord. It is Your will. And that when we position ourselves like that, my Good Friday becomes really good. Because Good Friday becomes the acceleration point for all that God wants to do in all of our lives. So we've got to be excited about today. We've got to be excited about the weekend. We've got to be excited about Sunday because of the transformation that happened when we realise He is not dead. He has risen. He is alive. He rules and He reigns. There is nothing that is holding Him back. Today, ourselves of the journey we don't relive it. Good Friday is not where we relive Jesus dying for us. He died once for all time. And that death deals with every part of our sin, our failure, our brokenness. It deals with every bit of healing, redemption. It deals with every part of salvation. It does all of those things once and for all time. So grab your seats because i got loads to say and little time to do it. Thanks, band. Thanks for all you've done. I thought I might do a song a la Bishop John Francis, but I've held myself back. Um, Yeah, you should be thankful. Um, No, it's not happening. Listen, have ever played games with children where halfway through the game they change the rules? Or or played a game with Pastor Mark Foster? Same thing. You're playing a game with Pastor Mark and he will change the rules... Halfway through. And I'll tell you how you know the rules are about to be changed. This is the move you do. I have seen that move so many times over a pool table where he has decided he is now losing the game that we are playing. So he's going to try it. Anybody else seen that move? Just let's have a little moment of confession. There you go, around the room. People have seen that. You see, there's a lot of people responding in that moment. Because there's something happens... When those of a childlike disposition, which the Lord says is a good thing, Mark, um, <laughs> realise that things aren't working out for them the way they thought they were going to work out. So they changed the rules in order to fit in. Good Friday is the day that Jesus changed all the rules. You see, the whole of Israelite history was based upon Rules. Law. And the law was set up in order for people to know God, to be in relationship with God. And the law had done everything it could to help humanity, but our basic sinfulness always get in the way. There's no capacity within us to live in that perfect law until we meet Jesus. You see, when Jesus came, he changed the ability of people. And when Jesus died, he transformed who we could be. He changed all the rules. It's like was on a cross just going, no, 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 no. The way it was, no, 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 no. It doesn't have to be the way it was. You don't have to go through the process you went through. No, 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 no. You don't have to do that anymore. You don't have to bring the sacrifices you used to bring. No, those sacrifices, they don't count anymore. You don't have to obey the laws you used to have to obey. Mm -mm -mm. You you don't have to do those things because they no longer hold sway. Jesus had been arrested. He'd been betrayed. He had been beaten. He had been whipped. And he went to the cross willingly. Pastor Glenn talked about it earlier. Read Matthew 27. Just If you can hold those earlier reading in your head, then I don't have to read it again. Jesus went willingly. Willingly. Like pause for a moment. Think about you and think about what Jesus went through willingly for you. Knowing everything about you. That you know everything about you and he knows everything about you and he willingly went through that for you. For me. There's lots about me that I don't like and I don't understand why Jesus, why would you do that for me? Like, seriously? We don't pause enough and consider the weight and the cost. We stop today and we go, the cross. For me? Like, I don't know, was I just like, you know, two for one special? Was I an extra? Was it three for two and he got Stuart on the sort of back end of the deal? Cheapest one free? But he didn't. For each and every one of us, the choice at the cross was willing. He broke the rule about how it works. We read earlier, Matthew 27, and it begins with that moment of darkness, where across the whole of the land there's darkness. There was no possibility of an eclipse. There was no possibility of anything naturally, physically happening that could have caused that. Spurgeon, the great theologian, he says, God's frown remove the light of day as nature responded to its creator, willingly sacrificing his life. The darkness comes and then uh, we read just a moment about, ago about Jesus' cry, that moment, Eli, Lama Sabbathani, where he cries out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the only time that Jesus doesn't address God as Father. It's the only prayer where he doesn't call God Father because he's quoting Psalm 22. And Psalm 22, he's not just making the declaration of how he feels now because Jesus is always doing the more. There's more that he's doing. He's not just doing what we see. He's not just saying what you hear. He was saying more. In quoting Psalm 22, he's getting to later verses where it says this, future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness to a people unborn. And this little phrase at the end of Psalm 22 For he has done it. For, for he, in his cry, I mean, how together he has to be to, to do that. In his cry, he makes the de- in his cry of desperation, he makes the declaration of what he is doing, that he has done it that He is the Lord, that He is bringing something to completion. He cries out like that. And at this moment, there is a transaction that happens where God the Father regards for the first time the Son through the lens of sin. Because Jesus, who, sorry, God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Jesus endured the withdrawal of relationship with God. Having known it, forever is the wrong phrase, because it implies time. Having always known it, He endures withdrawal that causes a cry out so that we could be in relationship with God. And then he takes on all of our sin. In that moment, all the sin that that had been committed, was been committing and would be committed in time and history descends upon Jesus. You ever felt guilt? You don't have to tell me why. Have you ever felt guilt? Like the weight of it. You ever done something and thought, I can't sleep? Though there's this thing happening and I feel bad about it. And then multiply that by everyone who's ever lived and anything that anyone has ever done. And God puts all of that upon Jesus. Isaiah prophesied it like this. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised. He held them, we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and he bore our suffering. Yet we thought he was punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. Come on church. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. and and, and if that wasn't enough and by his wounds we're healed like if it wasn't enough that he was pierced for our transgressions crushed for our iniquities and that peace for us came through punishment for him I'd just throw in healing as well like God in his above and beyond relationship with humanity he couldn't hold himself back from just doing something more just going beyond all that he'd gone on. And then he cries out. And in Matthew that Pastor Glenn read, it just says, and then he cried out again. When you read it in John, it's chapter 19. It's that cry that Jesus makes. It is finished. That's the cry that Matthew's referring to. It is finished. The, The original language word is the word tetelestai, which literally means paid in full. So Jesus cried. It is finished. I have paid for it all. I have paid for it all. It has all been paid for. There is no outstanding debt. There is no outstanding bill. There's nothing we can do in the future that can harm that it is paid in full. It has been paid in full. Listen, we've got to grasp the enormity of that payment. The bigness of that payment. Our, you know, for us Brits, our nation wasn't even really founded properly at that stage, and yet all of our sin was paid in full. Parts of the world that some of you are from hadn't even been discovered. And yet, in that moment, in time and out of time, everything was paid for in. Full. And then that beautiful phrase that Pastor Glenn used he gave up his spirit. Ah, oh, no one took Jesus' life from him. He didn't die by crucifixion, he died by choice. He didn't die because of nails through his wrists and feet. He didn't die by the asphyxiation that crucifixion causes because your lungs are pushed down and you have to push up on those nails to breathe. He didn't die by a a spear into his side. He willingly gave up his spirit. Why? Because death has no claim on Jesus. Death has no hope, it has no victory, it has no power, it has no authority, it has no claim on King Jesus. He willingly gave himself up. You see, Paul writes later, after Jesus has has died and risen from the dead, Paul writes and tells us that the wages of sin is death. Well, Jesus can't collect death because he's got no sin. So there's an impossibility that is trying to happen. At that moment when Jesus dies, death senses victory. Jesus is as alive then as he ever was. Jesus says this in John chapter 10, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life. This is John 10. This is a long time before the events of the cross. I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. Listen, Jesus is just going, let me put this down here. I'm going to come back and pick it up. I'm going to put my life down here because that's going to pay for everything. Every now and again, there's a beautiful moment that you can have, we can all have, where you get to pay for something for someone without telling them you're paying for something. Uh, We were out for a a meal the other day with friends and he went and ordered some, we were in brunch, he went and ordered a couple more coffees and he came back and I thought to myself, you banned it. You just paid. And I knew he'd paid because that's exactly what I would have done. So, you know, we come to the end of the meal and Julie says, babe, you better get the bill. I said, there's no need to get the bill. He's already paid. So he says, how would you know I paid? I said, that's what I would have done. He said, oh, I thought I'd got away with it. I said, well, no. And there's no point in me going back to the till. Right? There's no reason for me to go back to the till and say, excuse me. I know he's paid. But... I feel bad that he's paid. And they're going to say, get over it. (laughs) I'd like to have paid. They're going to say, it doesn't matter. We're not bothered where the payment came from. We just need to know that it was paid. We just need to know that it's been covered. We just need to know that someone has paid the full price for everything that's in front on this bill. Thank you very much. You can take your seat. So whenever you come along and you want somehow to pay the Lord because you feel guilty for what you've done. Cuz we wrestle, listen, let's be honest. We wrestle still with our sin. And there's times where I I think, "Lord, I'm such an idiot." And he goes, "Yes, my son." I say, "Lord, what what I got to make this up to you." And I think the Lord just goes, "Honestly, Like, one, my sin was no surprise to him. The sins I will commit will be no surprise to him. Interestingly, and I absolutely believe this, we all have the capacity never to sin again. Otherwise, if Jesus didn't die to make us whole, fully saved, then sin is choice. Once you've been made alive, it's a choice to sin and we have to wrestle so when we sin I'd love to blame everybody else and that's how we feel better about ourselves but when we sin that's a choice we make and yet the Lord still comes along and goes well, why are you trying to pay for it like doing that? Like why are you trying to pay for it with a good deed? oh, maybe I better read my Bible a bit longer this morning. Maybe, do you know what? I I should serve a little bit more. No, no, do those things because they're the right thing to do. Do them out of discipleship. Do them out of your followership of me. But you can't pay for what's already been paid for. He willingly gave it up. See, at that point of death, Jesus broke three rules. Rule number one. God is holy, keep your distance. All the way through the Old Testament, there was a distance between God and man because of the holiness of God. In fact, access to the presence of God had been limited to one man one day a year. That was all they were allowed and there was so much ceremony and so much they had to do in order for the one man to be able to go in. And there was so much fear attached to it, he had a rope attached to him just in case. So if he died, they could pull him out. And yet we read and and read earlier that the curtain was torn from the top to the bottom. It's not act of sabotage where someone sneaked into the temple, which would have been difficult to do, and got to the curtain and cut the bottom and then tore it up. It's an act of God that he walked through the temple by the Holy Spirit. And in that moment, as Jesus dies, the temple, the, 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 the curtain that separates God's presence in the ark, the Holy of Holies from the people, the curtain that says there's no way through, there's no access, it's just once a year, it's just for one person. The curtain gets ripped from top to bottom, and God declares it is no longer about the law, it is no longer about the rules, it is an act of grace that has opened the way for you to walk through into my presence. The moment Jesus expired on the altar of the cross, the veil which for ages has separated God and man was rent from top the bottom. We can come boldly, oh, boldly, not with fear, not with religion, not with ritual. We can come boldly to the throne of grace because the veil is gone and God's mercy is available to us. You see, before it was one man, once a year, But now, it's all people, all the time. You don't have to wait. There's not a set time. There's not a set place. You can enter a relationship with God all the time. Before, it was death to go in. Now, it is death to stay out. That life only happens for us when we meet Jesus, that the sacrifice on the cross broke the rules of death so that we could know life. He broke the second rule, that there is a natural order. At that moment, and again, we read it earlier, the earth quaked and the rocks split. Only a very few people around the cross understood or or had an inkling of what was happening. John was there along with Jesus' mother, Mary Magdalene, James and John's mother. There's a lot of Marys around the cross. There's at least three of them. They're all sat there. And and they're there and they've got an inkling of what's happening, but not a real understanding. But creation, creation felt the shockwave of the Son of God willingly laying down His life. Creation shook with the anticipation of all that had changed in that moment because the, the one who had created had allowed those same hands to be pierced. The one who had made all things had shaped the earth was now dying for its inhabitants upon a cross. And at that point of death, the earth responded to the willingness of Jesus says, the earth shook and the grave split open. At that point, there needs to be a, a comma or a semicolon in Matthew when you read this because it's not an immediate thing that the people came out. But the grave split open because God is always working to break open what He will lead people out of. He's always working to break open the thing that you thought had buried you. The thing that you thought had locked you in, the thing you thought had limited you, the, the circumstance and situation that made everybody else go poor you, Oh, that's horrible that's happened to them. We're so sorry. We're so sorry that that happened to you. And God, in that moment of Jesus' death and resounding through history, since that moment, He has broken open every grave, everything that holds, everything that contains, everything that can limit you, everything that can stop you, everything that can hold you back. He has already broken it open. But this is what He's waiting for. He's waiting for you to get up. So the grave's open. Because the grave has no power over Jesus. And it has no power over us. Paul writes, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is law, but thanks be to God, He gives us victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. He broke the rules. He broke the rules. He smashed them apart. Final rule Jesus broke was death itself. They always say, don't list two things, always going to happen death and taxes. We're just down to taxes, people. Let me declare it. We are literally, if we're followers of Jesus Christ, it's the only thing that can happen to you is taxes now. Death is not final. Jesus smashed the rule on death. We said earlier the wages of sin is death and Jesus had taken sin upon Himself. But it was a sin He chose to pay for, not a sin He had to pay for. Oh, let, me, let me try and work that for just a moment. You see, I can stand up in a restaurant and I can go to the counter and I have only got to pay for my part. I don't have to pay for anybody else in the restaurant. I don't turn around and look at the restaurant and think to myself, oh boy, what did they have? What did they eat? I I don't have to think about that. I don't don't go shopping. I don't, you know, wander into Tesco and look at everybody else's baskets and think to myself, what are they buying? How am I going to pay for all those other things they're buying? The only person that I am accountable for paying for is the bit that I am buying. So when Jesus comes to death and He brings all of our sin and He puts it down and He pays for it, the sin is paid for. And then death says, what about your sin? And Jesus goes, I got nothing. Jesus does not have to pay for sin because Jesus was sinless. At that moment, death goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. You had all that other sin? Ah, it doesn't matter. I've already paid for that. So death's hold on Jesus is broken in that moment. When death came to take hold of Him, it could see our sin and it acknowledged that Jesus paid for that sin with His blood, but Jesus had no sin of His own. Death and the grave are trying to hold Him down, but Jesus, He's not just dealing with Himself now. Jesus is now rinsing death and hell of everything and everyone who is His. That's what it says in Ephesians. When He ascended on high, He took many captives, gave gifts to His people. What does He ascended mean? Except that He also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher in the heavens that He might fulfill the whole universe. You see, when Jesus descended, it was to set free those held captive. It was to set free those who were waiting, those who have been waiting for Him to come. And so He did. And then hell said, let me try and hold on to you. But Jesus, there was no sin to grip. And He broke free of death and hell. You see, when life touches death, life wins. So when Jesus ascended, rose from the dead, sorry, when Jesus rose from dead on that third day, all of those graves that were open all over Jerusalem, suddenly, people started to get out of the grave. They started to get out of the grave and they tell the story that I was dead, but now I'm alive. I had lost everything, but now I have found everything. And these people walk the city, the Bible tells us, walk in, holy people walking into a city, making it holy by their very presence. When we recognise that we were dead, and now He has made us alive, and we walk into our world, we walk into our city, we walk into our families, we walk into our workplaces, we bring the holiness of God into those spaces. See, Jesus broke the rules. Death no longer has the final Word. Jesus is the Word. He is the first, He is the last, He is the living One. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. There's no space where He is not. There's no place where He is not. There is no time that He does not rule. There is no place that He does not rule. There's no authority that He does not have. There is nothing that holds Jesus back. When He rose, we rose with Him. New life became ours to take a hold of. So Jesus, in that moment of the passage we read, seems, he he dies on the cross. Fully dead. The Romans knew when someone was dead. They were professionals. And the first witness is a Roman centurion. A man who has overseen the beating, whipping, and mockery of Jesus. It's the first person to recognise who he is. The first person into heaven is a thief on the cross next to Him. You see, Jesus doesn't hold against us who we were before we met Him. He asks us, what have we done when we met Him? When we encountered Him? Because the rules change when we recognise Jesus. When you recognise Jesus, that on Good Friday as we talk about all that He accomplished by dying on the cross, when you recognise Jesus, the rules change for your life. The emptiness, the brokenness, that sense of lack, that sense of purpose that you thought there's something just missing and you suddenly realise it's Jesus. That is who I need. Thank you for listening to this Audacious Podcast. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com. We'd love for you to join us at one of our campuses, Manchester, Chester, or online, every Sunday, 10 a.m. and 12 p.m.